Hello, hello, GM, GM, and welcome to another episode of the Dead NFT Artist Society podcast. I'm your host, Meta David. In today's episode, I talk about AI versus human-generated art and the threat it poses to artists. And I also give my high-level thoughts on the state of NFTs. But before we can get to that, a word from our sponsors. Dead NFT Artist Society is proudly brought to you by NFT Champ, a company out of Southern California that creates custom displays for your rarest NFTs at an affordable price. They print your NFT and frame it in a 4x4-inch acrylic display. Simply provide your OpenSea link and they'll pull your image, rank, address, and generate a scannable QR code to OpenSea on the back of the display. These are perfect for NFT collectors or projects looking to hold a physical version of their rarest NFT. Shipping is free in the US and they send within 48 hours of purchase. Grab yours today at nftchamp.metadavideth.com and you'll get a discount again. That's nftchamp.metadavideth.com. Ledger is the smartest way to secure your crypto holdings. Its hardware wallets are trusted by over 4 million customers and can secure, manage, and store over 1,800 crypto assets. Using the Ledger Live app, you will have a one-stop shop for your crypto needs. Buy, sell, exchange, and grow your assets with Ledger's partners easily and securely. Head over to ledger.metadavideth.com and take self-custody today. Gemini is a simple, elegant, and secure platform to build your crypto portfolio. It allows you to buy your Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto instantly. Gemini currently supports over 60 different types of cryptocurrencies, and with interest rates at 8.05% APY, it'll give you a leg up on beating inflation. Head over to gemini.metadavideth.com and sign up for Gemini today. So let's get straight to it. The first thing I wanted to talk about is AI art. It's been in the media a lot lately. It's become really, really good. And I think a lot of you've seen the stuff on crypto Twitter. Got AI that can compose music that sounds as good as like music composed by a human being. You can say the same thing about the writing that it does. And yeah, the art's really good. There are two major art AI platforms that I'm aware of. One's Dolly two and the other one's mind journey i have more experience personally with mind journey so like earlier today i asked it to make a mouse on the moon and it looked like a graphic of a mouse on the moon was it good yeah i mean i would say it was pretty darn good so the concern here is with the ai being as good as it is is that going to replace artists? Is the profession going to die as we know it? So I wanted to weigh in on this issue. If you want to hear it from me, does this pose a threat to artists? I would say yes, but I have a little bit of a nuanced take on it and different than what I've heard on uh, crypto Twitter. So first thing first, I'll talk a little bit about some of the objections as to why it won't replace human art. And I kind of disagree with two of those common reasons that I've mentioned one is it doesn't have a human touch. I'm not sure exactly what human touch means. I haven't heard that qualified. I don't I haven't seen it quantified. If you're saying that it's not as good, um, I'm gonna have to beg to differ on this one as an art collector. It is really good. I even like earlier today I talked about Mouse on the Moon. I asked it to make a photograph of two lizards playing chess, and it like photograph quality look like 
two lizards playing chess. I also even asked it just for poops and giggles to make a graphic of Messi being a bartender at a fancy nightclub just because at the time this podcast is being recorded, the World Cup's underway. So it did, and it looked very good. Looked like something an artist could perhaps make. So I don't know what, like, if I don't, I don't know if I really subscribe to that school of thought that it doesn't have the human touch. I think that could be, mean so many different things. If it means that, there's something hollow about it. I mean, I guess I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not there yet. It, it seems a little bit like if we're being frank, a little bit of a cop out answer to just say it doesn't have a human touch and then not really elaborate what that means. So I'm, I'm, I've, I've got a counterpoint on that one. I don't, I don't really see it. The other thing, uh, the other argument I hear is, you need someone really well-versed in AI to be able to control it. This is actually something I do agree with. There are people that are out there better at controlling it than others, including myself being on the side of the camp that is not very good at control. It's good enough, but I mean, there's probably people that can massage that AI to do it exactly what they want it to do. With me, it takes a few iterations to get it right. Those people, yeah, they understand how the engine works. They know what prompts to give and what sequence to give them, what to emphasize. And yes, that is a skill. The reason I disagree with that argument, though, at, as a whole, is to me, that's more of a today problem, meaning that it won't be a problem tomorrow. It's only really a matter of time that these AI prompts are going to be very easy to master and manipulate. And that. The analogy I'll give here, because you know I'm a big fan of the analogies, is when computers first came out, you had to have like quote unquote computer skills to use one. They weren't intuitive to use. Turning it on was the easy part, but then oftentimes, especially if it was a PC-based system or Intel-based, I should say, uh, it required a series of MS-DOS prompts of for, you know, to navigate your way around. You had to know what executable files were, batch files. There was also, if I remember, like CMD files, so I'm, or I'm sorry, COM files, command level files. So dating myself a little bit, uh, knowing how to change directories. Everything was text-based. It was not a graphical user interface. And yeah, that required computer skills. Uh, so you could reasonably within like the 80s and 90s put something on your resume that said like, hey, I have computer uh, skills. And that would signal to prospective employers that this is a skill that you have and you know make you more desirable for employment. And I would even extend that argument to like applications broadly that were, you know, above the operating system level to word processing wasn't as straightforward as Microsoft Word is today. So all that's to say is like today, if you were to put on your resume that you have computer skills, and I would say extend this maybe even back 20 years or so back to 2020, uh, I'm sorry, extend it back to 2000. Yes, it would sound kind of silly to say that you have computer skills, and that's been the case for about the past 20 years. Everyone knows how to use a computer now. I know how to use a computer. My wife knows how to computer. My parents know how to use a computer. My grandparents who are in their 90s know how to use the, uh, use a computer. My daughter who's four years old knows how to use a computer. Everyone knows how to use a uh, computer. That's not a skill anymore. And the reason it's not a skill is just because computers have become so intuitive so easy to use that it doesn't require any level of mastery. And I see that in the same vein with AI, that that's a today thing. 
But I think that the AI is going to be so easy and straightforward and intuitive to manipulate and it's going to be well documented that it doesn't really require, you know, computer skills to be able to do it. Or, I'm sorry, it doesn't require AI skills to be able to do it. So where does that bring us and what will the future like uh, look like? As I alluded to, AI is going to play a huge part in our day-to-day lives. I'm not a very good artist, but there's going to be a future very soon where if I need a logo... I can get a professional quality one and made that very have that made very well by AI. Does that displace graphic artists? I would say yes to some degree. There is a segment of the graphic artist population. I mean, we're in crypto, you know, in the crypto world, so we think about NFT art, but you have to kind of take a 30,000 foot level of this and be mindful of the fact that there's people out there that do graphic artists, they work for corporations, maybe freelance too that are getting paid for doing graphic art stuff. I think the, that particular population that's kind of doing it, and I, I, I hate to use this word, but it's kind of the first one that comes to mind is just doing it kind of mechanically. Those are the ones that are higher at risk because, yeah, I, I certainly think that AI can automate, if you will, a lot of those things. Um, when it Like making logos, movie posters, at the very least, they can save significant amount of time where you can get to a point where you just kind of have to augment those things. And I would extend that also, I mean, for like music albums for, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, soundtracks for movies, um, you know, even stuff like that's happening today, driving construction. I mean, AI is going to just play such a huge, huge role in our lives in the future. So we had the industrial revolution. We had the information age. I think we're at a point where we're exiting the information age and then entering in the AI revolution slash age, whatever you want to call it, where AI is going to continue to play a huge role in our day-to-day lives. So it's a profound subject that I can talk a lot about, but I'm just going to rein it back in and talk about art. So is there going to be a future for artists at all? And you know, to me, the answer to that is yes, absolutely. I would segment this further. So I talked earlier about like the graphic arts uh, segment that they're doing it for like a, as a profession for like a corporation, business, freelance, whatever, some sort of like commercial profession. There will obviously be a place for artists when it comes to the fine arts realm, which I think a lot of my listeners, I would classify them within that domain. So fine arts are here to stay. And by fine arts, I'm saying like you're making art for the sake of it being enjoyed by others, not necessarily for like a utility. There's no utility tied to it the same way that like a movie poster is supposed to uh, depict something or, you know, a, a illustration in a book is also supposed to, you know, serve a purpose. Fine art is just supposed to be enjoyed on its own individual merit. So I do not think that that is going to be at risk. I that there is going to be demand for that type of art. And the analogy I'll give to kind of illustrate why I think so is um, if you know me in real life, I'm a huge person. Uh, I'm a huge suit person. Um, not a huge person. I'm a huge suit person. And there are really two major options when it comes to purchasing a suit. You can buy one that's off the rack, which is kind of like going to a Nordstrom's and just buying what you see and then having it, you know, tailored to just kind of an altered just to make it fit. And they're great suits. They work. Majority of the people, I don't know what the numbers are. I hazard a guess that it's going to be at least 90% do do that. And they're very satisfied with what they're purchasing. But there's also that like five, 10% that want custom suits. 
they could get like a machine made suit, but they there's something just more prestigious about having a custom made suit. There's kind of like a flex there and a story to a story around it about like how you had it, you know, how you, you got it measured and, you know, the, uh, the process of picking the materials and um, having to try it on for the first time and then having it like, you know, modified. I mean, there's just ho- so much that you can speak to about uh, speak to that uh, when you get questions about it, which inevitably that you do when you're wearing a custom made suit. So, it is a flex, and in the same way, I mean, you can even make the same argument when it comes to fine art, physical fine art. Uh, you can go out to, like, a home goods and buy prints of a lot of these things or replicas and, you know, put them up in their you know, your living room or family room, and they look great. But it's not quite the same as having something, like, handmade by an artist. There's, again, just, it's a talking point. It's a flex, you can say the same thing about carpets, machine-made versus handmade. Handmade's just worth a lot more, and there's always a compelling story about that. So hopefully by my use of analogies there, you've really bought into the fact that, yeah, there's going to be distinction between the two, but that begs the question, which I kind of address, uh, talked a little bit about earlier, is that the AI, the AI art is really, really good. So how are people going to be able to tell the difference between like AI and handmade quote-unquote human art yeah if you look at the art it's going to be really difficult to tell Um, at some point it might even become impossible you can today you can maybe tell just because the AI one has some artifacts sometimes but I think it's just going to get better and better as time goes on that's not going to be so much of an issue I think the solve for this is actually going to go back to the blockchain I know a lot of you artists use Procreate and some of you use Photoshop. In the future, what I expect is that a lot of those software applications are going to have direct integrations with blockchains. So as an artist, when you're working and completing a piece, there can be additional metadata added to the blockchain that like authenticates the fact that it was made on that application. Uh, you know, the license number, the data was made, how many hours were spent on it, Um there's just all, all sorts of data that can just be put on there that, again, authenticates the work. And that data is immutable. It can, and, and as a, a potential collector, you can just go on the blockchain and view it. So it really, it to me, that addresses the problem between like what's like AI versus what is handmade slash human made in the future. So I think there's going to be a fix there in the future, but we're just not quite there yet. I don't even think we're necessarily far off. The technology is there. It's just a matter of having these bigger companies embrace the technology. So I think what's going to happen is there is going to be like different segments of the art market. There's going to be a segment that just needs art made and they don't care how it's made. They just need it to serve a particular purpose. Then I think that, and that's going to be a very large segment. I don't want to, um, you know, under undersell that. But I think there's still going to always be a segment where I call it fine arts, where there's just going to be people that want to buy art for the merit of the art that just stands on its own. And I don't think that that's at risk and that's always going to be at play. So with that said, I think that there's going to still be a place with uh, still a place for NFTs and uh, things that are AI generated. And I think that's going to still exist and that's fine. There might not be as valuable, but people are going to go out there and and make them and sell them. And there's going to be some that are more appealing than others. 
But I think there's also a place for like one-to-one artists that are just building things from the hand from the ground up. But yeah, rest assured, I think like one thing I'm very confident about is the fact that the fine arts are going to be here to stay. So for those of you listening that play in that space, don't feel threatened by the technology. Embrace it. Adopt it. Be comfortable with it. Play around with it. I would say the fix in the interim until that solution with the direct integration, that's just one possible solution I came up with. I don't know. There might be companies out there that are exploring other things too. Is just really building that community, building those connections, and within those uh, within those communities, sharing like your works of art in progress, engaging people, uh, seeing that they're that you're real, that you're authentic, and then just feeling more comfortable with you. And if you do that, then certainly AI won't pose any sort of threat to your uh, to your well being. In the same respect, though, I would say, and I'm, I hate to be like an alarmist about this, but if you are doing like one-to-one art as kind of like a side thing, but your day job is doing graphic art. I would just be cognizant that, yeah, there's a, a, a there's a possible threat there. So just kind of, you know, adapt and adjust accordingly. So that's my two cents on the whole AI versus human art discussion. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about is a state of NFTs, specifically speaking about different categories of NFTs, the main ones and what I think of them. PFPs, art-centric ones, land, and DAO. So first I'll take a stab at PFPs. PFPs stand for profile pictures. They can be used, I mean, as the name says, they can be used for profile pictures on your social media accounts. I think Twitter's the most notable one, but you can use them anywhere, whether it's LinkedIn. I see that sometimes. Facebook, not as common. Instagram, a little bit more common than Facebook. It's a form of social signaling. The thought process being is if you have a more recognizable PFP, such as like Board Ape Yacht Club, there's an element of like a flex there. Uh, it's cool. You probably spent a lot of money on it or you were savvy enough to get in early on it. So I, I would argue it's mostly like using, uh, using them for social signaling. Uh, what do I think of them? I do think that they're here to stay, but not as a speculative asset that people see them for in the current state. It would be more like buying a luxury good. So if you're buying, you know, a Prada handbag or a blueberry, I'm sorry, blueberry, a Burberry wallet, uh, I see it within that realm. So, and I see a future where people are spending that kind of money for their uh, profile pictures, just because I think there's going to be a convergence to more time. We already see it. There's this, you know, there's this convergence to being, uh, to spending more time on social media platforms. And I think that's only going to increase and the lines are going to be a lot more blurrier between what constitutes a social media platform versus a metaverse or some sort of augmented universe. So I, I I do think, I mean, absolutely, profile pictures, that's a thing. That's not a fad. That's not going to go away. But I think as a speculative asset, they are not, it's not going to have staying power from, from that aspect. There are some established brands out there, and I think they'll do a pretty good job of, you know, staying established. There's going to be some disruptors that come out there, uh, but by and large, I don't think that you know the, there's going to be too many board ape yacht clubs. I think that's more of an instance of catching lightning in a bottle. 
my advice is just kind of be aware of the fact that in the current state, they're way too saturated. You, if you're buying it to speculate on it, hoping that it's going to appreciate value, it probably will not. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it probably will not. But I think if you just stick with what you vibe with, what you enjoy, you know, it's something that resonates with you and you can afford it, then don't buy it as an investment, but just buy it as something that you're, you like. And if it goes to zero, that's fine. You like it. You enjoy it. It represents you. It's something that you're comfortable with. It conveys who you are. I think it kind of checks all the boxes as far as what a profile picture should be, NFT or not. So that's my take on PFPs. In summary, I would say that I feel like they're here. I'm not going to say that I'm bullish or bearish. It's just that they're here to stay. But I, I think in the currency, it's got a little out of control. So the next type of NFT I wanted to talk about is the art-centric ones, uh, whether it takes in the form of, of uh, one one out of one art, generative art, AI art. To me, these will not go to zero. In fact, I would say NFTs in their current state, this is the best use case I've seen so far. And I've talked a lot about it on the podcast before in previous episodes. It just solves so many problems. Before NFTs, it was extremely difficult for graphic artists to monetize their work because there was no way to establish provenance. For physical artists, there were just so many different gatekeepers like galleries that stood in the way. And it, it solved both those problems, and not to mention the fact that you have a model here where the artist can continue making royalties in perpetuity. So my take on this, very bullish it's here to stay. Definitely won't go anywhere. There's a reason why I have like a podcast newsletter that is dedicated to uh, art-centric NFTs just because from my vantage point, and I feel pretty strongly about this, this is a scenario, this is a use case that will not go away. It's actually just going to continue receiving mass adoption. The next one I wanted to talk about is land, which to me is the most interesting one. It's the notion that if you buy land in the metaverse, it's almost like you're buying real estate. It is an investment. There is some specula speculation there. Generally have this expectation that if you buy land today, that it's going to be worth a lot tomorrow. I'm going to have to say I'm very bearish on these lands Two reasons for that. One is that I don't like there's no sense of interoperability. So if you buy land on one, like from one platform and you buy land on a different platform, they don't they don't interface with each other in any way. They're like competitors. So it's almost like you have to pick one, but it, it, it kind of to me defeats the purpose of what the end game goal of like a metaverse is supposed to be, like bringing people together. So I just I don't see that, like, I don't see that even being a solvable problem. I think that they're just going to stick with their own, like, you know, metaverses, lands, and they're just going to kind of duke it out. And I don't even see who, like, the best, it's not me even giving an endorsement as who the best is. I don't even see how, like, one particular entity here could win this game. Additionally, like, the second reason is, there's just so many free solutions that work so well, like on cyber and spatial, that I don't even see the problem that it's supposed to solve. I I don't I don't see who why you'd be paying for this stuff. So my take on this is very, very bearish. Not financial advice, but I would not I would not go after like purchasing any sort of metaverse 
with the expectation that it's going to go up in value. I do think that there is a place for the metaverse, absolutely. And I don't know, have some thoughts about what where, what it could look like in the future. But as far as like using, you know, using Ethereum or Solana or Tezos to go out and buy land and hope that it goes up in value and it's going to be like the de facto standard in the future. I don't see it, guys. So very bearish on land, not financial advice, but it's not something I would necessarily endorse spending your ETH on or Solana or Tezos or Cardano or blockchain of choice. So the next one that I wanted to touch on is DAOs. DAOs stand for Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. In a nutshell, I know that's a mouthful there, but in a nutshell, it's an organization that, you know, is set up with tokenization, much like, I mean, they're essentially NFTs. So you could have like 100 tokens slash NFTs available within this DAO. And let's say if you own 10 of those, then you have 10 out of, 10 out of 100 of those tokens. So you have like 10% of voting rights. So it's a way to kind of establish governance uh, within the DAO. I think the most well-known DAO is going to probably be Nouns because and they have so many different you know, forks of the ecosystem, one that I work really closely with, which is new nouns. But the way nouns work, in case you're not familiar with them, is uh, they have a daily auction, so an auction that runs for 24 hours. And the funds from the highest bidder go into like a centralized treasury, so it doesn't get distributed to the owners or the, uh, the founders, rather. Uh, they're not the owners, they're the founders. It's a decentralized organization. Uh, and, and people can put together proposals and they don't necessarily have to be a part of the down. That's a key part of nouns. And I would say probably a key element for the success of any DAO is that you don't necessarily have to be a member, but you can put together a proposal to use the funds from that treasury to help push forward a cause. So in the case of nouns, the tokens have what are called quote unquote noggles. Uh, so if you've seen a noun, you know exactly what I'm referring to is they're these squarish glasses and they have different colors uh, and they're very uniform though in terms of like their form factor and their appearance. And so essentially the cause could be to go out there and do anything that is branded nounish with the noggles which in turn just kind of pushes the meme of noun. So you could you could maybe establish some sort of organization which is going to go to a beach and clean up, like do a beach cleanup that kind of helps, you know, support the uh, sustainability of uh, wildlife. And you do that with, let's say you have bags that are branded with noggles and you might be wearing like a nounish shirt doing that. So that in turn helps proliferate. They like to use the word pro proliferate. That helps proliferate the meme because people are out there, beachgoers and such, and they see that there's people at the beach wearing these noggles. They're very unique. They start asking questions about it, what they're doing. They're doing a good cause, so it gets, kind of pulls more people into the ecosystem. And also people are taking pictures of these things and posting them within uh, our on different social media platforms, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. So what that does is that pulls more people because of that interest into the ecosystem. And in turn, the thought thought process here would be is that it drives up the value of the tokens, the value of the uh, tokens, the nouns, 
that are being auctioned off every day. Uh, so it's almost like a flywheel effect. And also one important distinction is that the nouns are CC0. So from a copyright perspective or trademark infringement, there's nothing to worry about. You can do anything you want with these nouns. So that's an example of just like one DAO, the most well-known one. But a DAO can take on many forms. But in, an es but in essence, it's an organization with members and a treasury. This is something I particularly feel very bullish on. You know, if you think about Europe, notably Germany, many of the companies are employee-owned. So this would be a great use case scenario to me to just bring all that governance on-chain so the operations are more efficient, more transparent. So I see like a very strong use case there. I see a very strong use case for freelancers and consultants looking for work. They can bid and earn jobs and upon completion, just get paid, you know, permissions, permissionlessly and trustlessly. There's just, to me, so many good use case scenarios on DAOs. So my recommendation for the listeners would be just track this and keep keep track of this. Maybe even consider joining one. A lot of them have entry points that are less than like 0.01 ETH. So they're not necessarily going to be particularly expensive to join. Some of them are going to be like nouns you're looking. I mean, we're in a, this isn't a bear market and they're going to cost around 25 to 30 ETH. In a bull market, that was around like 100 ETH. So you might not necessarily be able to afford a noun. There's forks of nouns that are certainly affordable. And there's just other DAOs that you can join too. And just kind of like be be in the DAO, see how it works. And if you, you know, once you start getting more comfortable, maybe become even a participant within that DAO. Again, this is this is a use case that I feel very bullish on. And I would strongly encourage everyone for the experience, not to make money off of it, but just to kind of go in there, get your feet wet, immerse in it and see what it's like, because I definitely see this being something more prominent in the future. So that's uh, my two cents on all those different NFTs. I didn't cover everything. There's some other use cases out there that are like reward programs, and I could spend an entire podcast or maybe a series of podcast episodes on just talking about the subject. But we just wanted to give you like that 30,000 feet view on what I think is the current state of various more well-known use case scenarios of NFTs and just weigh in on those things. So Hopefully you found some benefit on that. And that wraps up today's podcast. So hope you enjoyed it and we'll talk soon. And that concludes this show. I hope you enjoyed listening. I'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter. And if you do enjoy my podcast, please subscribe. Give me that five-star rating and review because it helps a lot. Thank you for listening. And until next time.